So I'm just going to let Mike introduce him. What's up, man? I've known Jared for a long time. I'm actually uh, closer to his little brother, but, uh, you know, we're we're both in this recovery thing. And I've, uh, Jared's been doing a a gym recovery program for how long? Oh, we've been doing it for like, well, the recovery strong's been going for four years, five years, but the gym itself, like it's my sister's gym about over a year. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get kind of the... All the all of the gist of everything today from you. So I'm happy that you're here. So thanks for Pleasure thanks for on. coming on, and we'll uh, we'll get right down to it and to this. Uh, here we go. So we uh, <laughs> obviously Mike has not been on the podcast for. Yeah, a while. I know. I'm like oh, so blah, blah, <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> so you have an awesome like you have a really strong presence in the area with your with your recovery program that you're doing um but before we get to that let's get to you uh who we yeah, want to know are who you? you are yeah, yeah. who, who, is, who, is, who this is this guy the Jared? um <laughs> so where are where are you from man what's what where are you from and like what was your childhood like so I'm from right here where we're at uh Kaysville Utah so Fruit Heights actually to be correct yeah um Dude, I'm just the, I don't know what to, how to answer that. I'm just the guy that um, started out a normal childhood, um, had six family members, so four, uh, five siblings and middle child. So that's probably why yeah. I'm a recovering addict. So, <laughs> right. Um, right in the middle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just tell my mom that. That's why I'm mom. But yeah, I grew up in this area, grew up LDS, grew up in the culture, um, you know, and, and found myself really lost at that time. Like I didn't, I always just felt different from a lot of people. And um, yeah, just, uh, I've got really awesome family who we've all struggled with stuff. I'm the only recovering addict in the family out of the, uh, all six of us. And so that's kind of crazy. I'm the one with the disease, but you know, they've all got their own stuff, right. but, uh, but yeah, so grew this up is here. not as obvious as the other things. I can point it out really well, but <laughs> they right. don't like to no. hear it. So. Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> that's my problem. But yeah, dude. And I just, I just think, uh, looking back, like after getting sober, um, really, understanding how like I was a nervous child, you know, scared, fearful, all those things, you know, which recoveries helped me realize. And, um, you know, really friendly to people. I think I make friends really well, but I think that was something I had to learn because I had to hide some of that fear, but I know it's kind of getting deep into this kind of stuff right now, but yeah, I grew up here, um, played sports and, uh, um, yeah, just, uh, had a good childhood, you know, nothing crazy happened to me that would require me to become a drug addict other than it's just, my story so what um oh go ahead no i was just gonna so let's talk about that i mean like how how old were you when you kind of this became new to you like the influences that around you and what made you want to do it what do you mean using yeah yeah so i uh you know i remember in church let's start with church all right Ah. (laughs) so i remember we had this teacher that just said, just say no, don't ever use, you know, like kind of that dare program, like don't ever use. Cause if you use once you're going to become addicted. And I always like, I'm never going to use drugs or alcohol. Like I told myself when I was like, I remember I was probably like 12 years old, you know? And I was like, I'm never going to touch that stuff, you know? And, and I had a, and I had a true belief that I wasn't, you know, and then, then I grow up, I get into high school or I go through junior high, nervous, you know, scared, fearful, yet still had a lot of friends, but they didn't know how I felt inside. And then as I got into high school, my buddy's dad was a pharmacist. So he worked for his dad's pharmacy. 
And, you know, I'd broken my legs and my bones and stuff like that. And I felt that we'll, we'll talk about the first time ever being high. And I didn't realize when I got high that I was high, you know, because I'd never I didn't know what it was. So I was I was a sophomore at Davis High and I went I had a headache before school and I took a I went into my mom's bathroom and I found a bottle of pills that said take as needed for pain. So I took one lower tab. I think it was a lower tab. I don't know at the time, but I went to I went to school and I was building portables at the time uh, that they have. I remember uh, just sitting on top of the portable and just being like, "Holy cow, this is rad!" Like I didn't realize I was high at the time. Like this is life. Yeah, like you know. So, but then after year, you know, months and months of uh, you know my friend getting pills, like it just escalated after that point. But I remember like looking back. Dude, that was like the first time I felt cool and okay, you know, like just calm and like I could do this every day of my life. I didn't do it every day, but I did, you know, I could, I could have if I had the means. So, but do you chase it every like once you, um, for me, man, when I first or when I first got high and, and I got that, that same exact feeling like the fear is gone, the anxiety is gone, the social pressure is gone. Um, I need more of that. Yeah. Like now, <laughs> actually, I needed more of that yesterday. Um, did you chase it a lot? Did you go to like crazy lengths to like, get it? Or um, I mean, I probably depleted my mom's. You know, my mom's. Uh, I never like went to friends. Cause, well, luckily, I had that steady stream. You know, from a best friend who worked at a pharmacy. But I don't remember like. How do we get your friends? Yeah, no yeah, kidding. Right? <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy because you know, and, and I was so stupid as far as like I would break into his house cause I knew where he kept his pills and I would steal them and then replace his pills with like some Tylenol. Yeah, like what we've all done before. Right. And like, and I remember I was over at his house like two days later and he's like, yeah, my brother stole all my pills and tried to replace them with Tylenol. And I'm just like, look, like, what an <laughs> asshole. I know. I did that. What an idiot, you know, but, but really like he would go, he was a tech there and he would go every day and he'd come back with just pill after pill after pill, you know, like tons. I don't know what I was taking at the time, but, you know, and it was a weekend thing. It wasn't like a everyday thing, but we knew who to, who had them. So, you know, and then that was just a party time in high school. It was fun in high school. Right. So, so that like sophomore all the way to senior year, pretty much. Pretty much. I'd say probably junior to senior year is okay. when it all took off. And so. during that time frame, like, did you ever get in trouble with anything like... Uh, the first time, yeah, with alcohol, you know, I, I, the first time I ever drank, I was at Seven Eleven in Kaysville at a Zima. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember those, oh, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Zima, it was like a Sprite or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, I had one drink and we go down to Seven Eleven. there's a cop in the parking lot and my stupid ass goes and talks to a cop at, you know, 17 years old after drinking and he, you know, cause I knew the cop, he was a school cop and I'm like, Hey dude. And he's like, off. And he's like, are you drinking? And I'm like, like oh, no. no. So I got a, I got a ticket that night that day or like, that was like at eight o'clock. So we went down to go dancing and then I got another open container ticket that. And so I got two alcohol tickets that night and that was about the, the, you know, the gist of my uh, alcohol problems at that point. So, so, <laughs> so, so at that point, though, I mean, like, let's talk about like the family scenario, though. So, yeah. you, what, what do your parents think at this point? Like, oh man, does Jared like, have an issue going on? Like, do we need to like talk to him about this or maybe other siblings? Um, my sister, I remember she was a cheerleader, so she was probably the one time that. Um, you know, my parents just thought I was a wild child. You know, they didn't really get into my business too much. But the one thing I remember, my sister being a cheerleader, we were at a high school game down in down south. And uh, I think we were playing like Hillcrest or something like that. But 
I took a ton of pills that game. And she saw, I went and said hi to her at the end of the game. And I was just, she actually called her coach to have somebody call me or call somebody to make sure I was going to be okay that night, you know? So at that point, I think it started coming out when my sister saw that. I, I think my sister noticed it before any of my family members. And how did. old were you at this point? I was probably 17, you know, 17. It could have been senior. I don't remember, but I think like the thing is, is you can take pills. You can't smell pills, you right. know, like alcohol, you can smell pills. You can't. So it's that designer drug for kids that age. They can get by, you know, my parents weren't looking for, a drug addict in their house at that time. So kind of slid under the radar for a while. Okay. So, so never like your parents, like hone you in like, Hey Jared, let's sit you down on the bed and have a little powwow with you. And I'm sure they did. I just don't really <laughs> remember. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I was, they probably just gave up. Like I said, as the middle child, they're like, Oh boy, we're right. going to, we're going to work on Jake and JJ. They're the better kids. So, right. But like <laughs> us, us addicts, I mean, we're very, you know, easy to go under the radar and really like be closet, closet alcoholic, closet, you know, yeah. poppers. And I did the same thing almost. I was, I had like a self, I did a self intervention to myself with my family. Yeah. When I was like, oh, let's take you to an AA meeting, Michael. I'm like, dad, I need to go to rehab. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, wow. It's, uh, that escalated. <laughs> How old are you now? I am 38. Okay. So. How was uh so when you when you got in trouble in high school for uh, for drinking what was your family response I mean when I got I got a DUI at 16 I mean it was like a month after I got my license I had a DUI <laughs> and uh, my mom who is very stout religious LDS I mean I I don't even think that she could comprehend what was happening uh, that like you did what I mean, you, you, you have what problem? Like yeah. she just didn't even register that her kid could, could Hold have an addiction problem. Right. What is, what was your family's reaction to that? I don't think that they knew at that point. Like, honestly, I was able to go to my classes, pay the fine. And, wow. I, and I didn't, they didn't know, you know, cause a DUI is a, a little bit, you know, all it was was a pay the fine type of ticket, I think. And then I had to go to an alcohol class, but I think I was able to hide that from them, you know? So they didn't know about it until maybe, well, when they did find out about it, you know, super, super uh, disappointed. I remember my mom, you know, like hiding alcohol when I, I think I was 19 and she was a primary teacher or something. And I did the smart thing of hiding my 18 pack down in the bookshelf where she has all of her teaching stuff. So that Sunday she goes in to teach a lesson and finds all my alcohol, you know? So, so going to that, like what happened there, like just pure disappointment. I was, she hated me. (laughs) I felt like she hated me at least at the time. That's how she, you know, that's, that's the way I interpreted it. But yeah. What did that do to your, what did the, uh, okay. How about this? Did the drinking and the using and the partying have an effect on your family relationships? Yes, it did. You know, because, you know, I go back, like me and my little sister or best friends were close. She's the one who owns the gym, you know, and so we were in high school kind of together. She was a year younger, two years younger than me. But, you know, going back to like the family dynamic, I remember she had a surgery and uh, um, she ended up getting a bunch of Percocets. We went camping up Farmington Canyon and... 
I knew that she had them with me. Like, you know, like I couldn't stop thinking about the glove box in the truck where she had her Percocets for her, you know, her discomfort. It's like but every my bump in the truck, you could hear it. In the oh, game, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I was, so we got up to the campsite <laughs> and I stole all of her pills that night, you know, and and she uh, she found out she goes over and looks at her pill bottle and they're all gone. And, you know, and I'm just like sitting there. I'm like, dude. I because I didn't the squirrel know. got him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but fell in the fire. But I never, <laughs> I, for sure. But I didn't know anything about recovery at this time. I just thought I was just a messed up dude that was always going to be stealing people's pills. Like I had no idea about anything. And so I remember seeing the disappointment in my little sister's eyes of what her brother, you know, like the mess he's become. I actually the farthest I've ever ran. I I jumped out and I ran down Farmington Canyon. We were up at Sunset Campground. I think it's probably like you probably yeah, know like seven, seven miles. miles. Yeah. yeah, I ran to my house, curled up in a corner in between my couches in the basement, and they went and looked for me because they thought I probably jumped off a cliff or something like that. You know, up there. I'm sure it was going through your mind. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was just scared though. Like honestly, I was just ran like Forrest Gump type stuff. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to run, and I just didn't want to be me anymore. And then. Went and fell asleep or laid down in the corner of these two couches at our basement and uh, no one knew I was down there. And then my mom finally came and saw me in the morning. And this is kind of a hard thing to say because if she hears this, she'll feel really bad. But, you know, she didn't know any other way to deal with this situation. But, you know, the, the thing that she said to me was, you're such a loser. You know, look at you, you know, and, and and I just remember like, I know, you know, look at me. I know. And and so that was a huge like. I was that loser. I felt that way at least, you know, so that kind of, that was the, a, a huge thing that happened in my life that I've had to learn to forgive her about because of the decisions I put her through and she didn't know how to deal with the situation I gave her, you know, so it's new to her. Yeah. So there's not any, you know, resentment at that, but I just, she already told me what I felt, you know? So anyway, but so we've had a lot of, we've had a few people on and also, um, We've talked about with the addicts that are in a family, there's a lot of uh, pull that comes from a parent that starts to become protective over the child in a situation like you Mm -hmm. and kind of clouds a lot of attention and like, we got to fix him. We're going to kind of ignore, not intentionally, but it happens Mm -hmm. where they really kind of ignore the other children. I mean, did you see your parents kind of at that point kind of hone in onto you? Not really. Not really? They just kind of kept it real? They've been, you know, they kind of just, we're not a real we're really close but we give each other space and so when I went to treatment you know they never really it was just kind of let him do his thing and it's been cool because I appreciate that because my mom isn't overly bearing you know like she we don't talk all the time like you know I could go weeks without talking to her and that wouldn't be you know abnormal but yeah there wasn't anything like that it was just I think I just I didn't want to let them down again so, you know, that, that kind of happened when I went to treatment. Right but so, so let's back up a little bit then. So this, so the situation happened at that point. I mean, what did you do from there? Like, did you, did it, Oh, I drugs kept, kept going, going on for a while? Until then you, I found Oxycontin. Okay. Yeah. So that we were in the Percocet days, you know, right. this was still right out of high school. And, and then I found Oxycontin. And then Got that's, me. yeah, that's when things changed. <laughs> so for the worst. At this time, like say, um, um, like, like in the area like where you said your mom found you like mm-hmm. <coughs> were you still into sports and things like that i was so I, we were always in i mean because i mean obviously some alarms are going off that you have a problem mm-hmm. like at that point 
Yeah, well, I was still in the sports. I mean, so I, I th- I'm not sure when the time frame is on this, but I did get kicked off the high school team because of sloughing, you know, like that, the mm-hmm. soccer team. Mm-hmm. And, and I grew up, JJ, my older brother, is really good at soccer. He was the all-star. My little brother was good, you know. So I was just caught in the middle, and I was always just kind of like just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know. I never knew, really found myself, but I was trying to do sports at that time, but – Partying was more important, too. So, so the reason why I ask is because um, just out of a perspective that, that I found interesting through my own recovery is I'd see these people, like, at meetings and stuff, you know, and um, just to give, like, a, pres- a description of what you look like right now, um, you're kind of a big guy. You look pretty tough, you know, the facial hair and uh, fit, obviously, like a football player. Mm. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm looking like. That's what I'm looking at. I laugh at that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, my point is, and you were into sports and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wonder, and I've talked to, to people know, like that. And um, it kind of surprised me that, because um, like when, when I seen someone like that, I'd always look at them and say, how can you have any problems? You know, and 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 I've asked people this question before, and they s- kind of said like, um, it, it kind of worked against them in a way because people thought, you know, like, well, yeah, I'm big, I'm six two, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm mus- muscular and whatever. So um, people just thought I would get over it, mm-hmm. like I would muscle my way through it somehow. You know, that I'm better than this disease. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I just. The, the thing about me and so is they I didn't never, get the help they needed when they needed it. See, and, the, and I didn't know. So I remember when the first guy I ever heard, you know, back when started OxyContin, um, the first kid that I ever heard went to rehab. I was like, man, I want to go to rehab, like, cause there, I I heard that there's like a chance to not be this messed up, you know, that physically need something every day to not get the shits and the sweats, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But like. I was caught in this facade where I had to pretend I was a lot bigger than I was, you know, because like I said, I had to, I was riding my brother's coattails trying to be in his shadow, you know, sure. be bigger than his shadow. And so I think that's where a lot of, I was inferior and I felt that way. So I didn't look at myself as tough, you know, so I think the guys that you might, you know, think that way or that way, they're probably the biggest, uh, they're probably down on themselves the most, you know, <laughs> they wear a big, uh, big disguise, I guess. Yeah. And that surprised me. Like when I when I would you know meet these you know big tough guys and they would sit there and say things like you know I'm afraid I was anxiety ridden I was nervous all the time and I'm like how can they f- be like me yeah you know I mean it just goes to show like the the disease doesn't care how smart you are how big and tough you oh, are yeah. like whether you feel like you should be an example to somebody else you know people look up to you I mean it's all the same like yeah. flat across the board. And I think you and me are pretty similar. We're both kind of scrunched in the middle child, mm. you know. And I've you and me, I've always known that about you that you you would never think that you had an, an issue going on. And same with people would say that to me too, like, "Oh, Mike, you always seem like you're such a happy, nice guy. Yeah. Always, you know, happy, smiling, whatever." But on the inside, it never, you know, there was a lot of shit going on. Oh yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, just you know, but but. Thank God recovery helped me figure that out. Because like I said, I go back to, I didn't know what the fuck was wrong with mm-hmm. me. Like, I just thought I was a dude that was just going to get up every day and just be just be a waste, you know. So yeah. 
But, yeah, luckily, you know, recovery helped me work out some of that stuff. I'm still that guy, though, you know, like deep down, like I still need people, outside people, like pat me on the back, good job, Jared, you know, a little cheerleader in the back, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) But that, I I hope, I mean, I don't think that'll ever go away, but at least I can survive, you know, a a productive life right now because of recovery. So, but... Let's hear about the Oxycontin thing. Yeah, no, I, I, had oh a, I had a stint yeah. with Oxycontin myself. Yeah. And then yeah. there was Oxycontin. <laughs> yeah, like, I really like that line. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we, gr- we grew up. Exactly. <laughs> that, right. that was like the day I took the lore tab on, uh, on the portable, the Oxycontin was like times 100. You know, like that feeling. I remember just the, the whole... The whole uh, Cutting it up and, you know, snorting it was just like, it was just a total, I felt like I was being so bad at the time, you know, and then it, it started out, you know, I was up at college, um, first year of college up Utah State, and, you know, I'd messed with it a little bit, you know, here and there, but then I went to school, barely graduated any classes, I went to party, you know, and uh, came back, it was uh, summer, I don't remember what summer it was, it was, I was probably 20 years old, <coughs> and Met some dudes over at the 7-Eleven, once again, the one by in Kaysville, and they had some. And, and I was like, yeah, let's do some. I remember and we went, did did some, did a line, went over and played kickball over at Barnes Park. And I just remember that was the day of that summer that I was like, I have to have this every day. You know, so that was when every day I had to go and find something. Still wasn't like physically addicted to it at that point. Just I love the feeling of it. I just wanted to be that way. And so... I remember then we went to Lake Powell a few months into summer and I remember finally I was like getting the shits and you know, the withdrawals right, right. and I was like, what is this? You know? And then finally I realized I'm like, dude, I'm, I have to have Oxycontin, you know, like it was weird. It was like this uh, whole learning how to be a drug addict type thing. And like, you know, you know, no one ever really told me about it, but yeah, it, but that was where I just, <clears throat> and that's how I started my business too, was because of Oxycontin. So my construction company. And um, one thing that'll get you up and go to work is drugs when you're starting <laughs> yeah. a company, like, like for yeah. real. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know you're going to get paid at the end of the day and like paid enough to, you know, get you a few pills, like you'll get up and go to work. And so my, my whole deal was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start this company and I'm going to make, the more money I make, the more Oxycontin I can do. Like it was an awesome plan in my head. And then it never really worked out that way. <laughs> so, but it gave me work. But it consumed ethic. you though. Yeah, exactly. it, it, and that's what it always does. Yeah. It just like hundred percent consumed you. Like I got to yeah, That's what I'm going to go do. Yeah. And I was a runner. So I was a runner at a law firm downtown Salt Lake. And I remember, uh, you know, it was a perfect job for a drug addict because I'd get all the freedom of going to deliver papers to the courthouses go hook up, you know, during the middle of it. But then in the meantime, I'd call and try and start this other construction company. But I remember all I, t- I told myself if I, ha- you know, I had to do cold calling to developers and try and get my name out there. And, but I remember if I had a, a little hit of Oxy, dude, I could talk to anybody, you know? So I just remember it gave, it empowered me. Right, your comfort level. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I didn't care who you were on the other end. We were the same, you know, I was finally equal with that other person or if not even better than them. So but yeah. so, so during that whole process, I mean, did you ever have like any like aha moments where somebody maybe said something to you that kind of still to this day resonates with you or like an, uh, maybe a situation or something that happened? Just like aha as far as you're an addict or like, yeah, like a, this is not going well. A family member or even somebody, even when you're trying to do work stuff, they're just like, hey, dude, you're not you're not square. I don't like this. <laughs> the aha moment, I right. guess, is when uh, 
my brother, when I, I couldn't even open a checking account at that point, you know, so I'm starting a business and it's not very good business if you can't have a checking your own business account. <laughs> so, you know, and you don't have no credit. So, but you know, we addicts, we figure stuff out. So I got my brother on board and he took over this little company we had. And, but I still thought it was my company being an addict. I am, you know, I did all the hard work and, but I remember the, one of the aha moments was I'm going to go do this work but I'm going to get these guys to pay me in my name, not the company name. And I did that. And I went to what, uh, down to Mesquite. It was about $10,000. Went to Mesquite, bought a bunch of pills before I went. Coke. Went to Mesquite. And then I went down to Vegas. And within two days, I had no money. And actually, it was payday that week. So my brother was going to pay me. So I was like, yeah, just go put the check in the truck. So I'm on my way back. And he saw the check stub for, you know. So, like, and that's when, like, shit hit the fan with my family i mean there was always people knew my problem at that point because things had happened but that was one of those times where it's like he's got a big problem and i went to treatment recently i went to treatment pretty close to that so after stealing from the company and blowing it all in vegas so but yeah, this has been a hell of a couple days yeah right <laughs> I, I didn't have vegas enough drugs yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean i was like i was 17 years old and you know, we were building a museum, and my dad's like, "Do you want to go live in Vegas for a summer, making you know prevailing wage?" I'm like, "Hell yeah!" I stole my brother's passport, and yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> lived the good old days for a little while. But that town can suck you dry. Oh man, it was. I remember, <laughs> I, yeah, I remember I went down there another time before this, and I and I had a a brand new MacBook computer, and by the end of the trip, you know, it was down at the NFR. I went down with some buddies, and and. I was just partying, drinking. It wasn't necessarily a drug trip, but I just, I had no concept of money. You know, like if, if I could get high, cool. So finally at the end of the time, I have my truck down there and I don't even have any money to get home because I spent it all. My mom transferred 300 bucks to my account and then I went and I gambled that, you know, got drunk and gambled that. And so I'm back in the same situation, stuck in <laughs> freaking Las Vegas. I had a computer I, t- I was actually going to go to pawn it at the pawn shop to be able to get back home. You know, just like just sick, stupid thinking and like manipulating people and just, yeah, just a waste. It was, oh man, I, I'm thinking about it. Just, yeah, it's like, it gives me chills. Right. Like I had no concept of like reality. That's what those pawn shops are there for. There's oh. a thousand of oh, you yeah. thinking the exact same yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotcha. sad. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'll never see you again. Like a $1,200 <laughs> MacBook. I'm going to go get 50 bucks for right. it. Yeah. You know? For exactly. gas money yeah. to be halfway home. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I would have got to mesquite. <laughs> right. So, but yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's kind of move this direction over to, okay. let's talk about treatment. Okay. Okay, so you, at this point, you're obviously in your lows. I mean, what what was it So at I went, that point? So, you know, my family, let's, we can take this back to family. After that trip to Vegas and all that stuff, you know, we had a little intervention at my sister's dance studio in late, in Kaysville, and... Uh, did you know about it? I did okay. because I was that I was re- I was like I don't know what's wrong with me. And so, well, what happened was actually I no I I knew about it, but I wasn't ready because I stole a bunch of stuff and I pawned it. it as my sister's wakeboard and all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a reason before for the meeting. But I remember, uh, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like we're gonna go get him sober. We're gonna yeah, call like, his. We're gonna call his shit out. Shit back. Yeah. So it was over there. Our whole family was over there and. And I remember showing up, and it was about the $10,000, and uh, we were all just sitting there fighting. My grandpa and grandma were there. My old, you know, all of my siblings were there, I think, pretty much. And my sister owns the dance studio, was actually downstairs with her kids, I believe, is what happened. But either way, she was downstairs, and she could hear us fighting. And then 
she walked upstairs in the middle of this um, bickering, you know, me just telling everybody that they owe me. I don't owe them anything, even though I stole all their shit. Um, but she just walks up, and I just remember she just stopped and just asked, Jared, do you need help? You know, and it was that soft, like, just, I want, you know, like, loving question. And I just sat there, and I just broke down, and I cried. And I said, yes, I can't do this anymore. You know, so everything everything just melted at that point. And within three days, I was in treatment. You know, my grandpa went to the pawn shop and bought everything back out, you know, to disperse it to the family members. And that was my first taste of treatment where I went to a 60-day inpatient up in Park City, um, did 90 days outpatient, graduated, learned about the disease, learned about addiction, learned about why I was the way I was. And, uh, and that's when my life changed. And then... I got about 18 months in, 19 months in, my grandpa died, um, girlfriend, you know, and then I kind of got normal again and I started drinking again. And, you know, so I went back out for another, oh, five years. And then finally, you know, I don't want to glorify all the drug use, but I was just killing myself every day, you know, like just so many, I didn't do Oxycontin at that point. I was taking Lord tabs, bottles and bottles and bottles of Lord tabs and the Tylenol was going to kill me before the pills were, you know, the Tylenol was going to just mess up my liver. So at that point, I just, I just was like, I've had enough. And that was January 6, 2015, where I checked back into an outpatient program and, and successfully completed that, you know, so that's where second round of recovery started, you know, January 6th. Let's, let's talk about this, because I know a lot of people have had uh, a few stays in rehab, you know, they've gone a couple times. I mean, Mm -hmm. From your first time to your second time going in, what difference did you notice in yourself? Like, I've was there, you know, we we talk about in the A something that's you know a power that's created in you. Mm-hmm. Like, did you or a spiritual awakening? I mean, did you? I think I finally realized I was gonna die. Like, I knew I was gonna die. And when I was 22 and I went to treatment, you're still young, and I think something happened in my brain that eventually, like now being older. It something clicked, and I just knew that I didn't want to do that anymore. You know, I never went to jail for other. You know, I got a few tickets, but the spiritual awakening. You know, I I was I love AA. I don't go to a ton of meetings anymore, but I just went to a meeting and picked up my five year chip before this. You know, I just was like, I need to go down and get my chip. <laughs> but uh, well, hell yeah, congrats! congrats yeah, by yeah. Way. yeah, it's <laughs> no, it's crazy. I know it's crazy. So and there's a bunch of guys down there that I know, and so it was really cool, but. You know, AA was a huge part of my life at the beginning, you know, but I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go to seven AA meetings a week. I've got other things I want to do, but uh, um, I'm trying to think of uh, how to state this. Just there's a lot of things that I've done in recovery since the foundation, which was the spiritual awakening, finding a God. You know, I don't know who that is. It's just it's just it can be earth you know for me like getting up in the morning and seeing a sunrise there is nothing more powerful than that to me you know to know that there's something out there that's bigger than myself you know and that's what i grab onto so but right on well let's so let's talk about the gym okay so i mean like what so obviously you know this workout i i I do a lot of cycling you Mm -hmm. do too i know that i've seen you on strava a few times yeah not as much as you but well (laughs) But, uh, I mean, what made it so you wanted to kind of focus over there? I mean, is it service give back or? I think 
Well, so the whole thing of Recovery Strong came about when I was in treatment, outpatient treatment. One of our counselors posed the question of, what are you going to do to change the face of addiction or break the stigma? And, you know, being just a kind of a recreational cyclist, you know, not a professional, um, I thought of Lance Armstrong's Live Strong Foundation, and I was like, Recovery Strong, you know, that's kind of a cool name. And I got online during that day, and my brother does websites and stuff like that, and I bought the name. I actually just last year, or this year, I actually own the trademark for Recovery Strong, which has been, you know, a, a little bit of a battle because I didn't trademark it when I first thought of it, and then somebody else trademarked it two years ago. So there's been a, bit, a little bit of legal stuff that had to happen, but I just thought, like, that would be cool to have a Recovery Strong brand that's kind of towards the attic, but it's like Live Strong, you know, for cancer and stuff like that. So I just, I started with that and then watching Ian do Fit to Recover down in, in Salt Lake. I just wanted to be, I, I guess, let's just be real. I wanted to be somewhat important in recovery. Like, honestly, like I've just kind of, I wanted to not like to be egotistical, but I thought I had a lot to offer the community. You know, it's kind of, that kind of sounds egotistical, no, but no, that, sounds like that, that sounds like healthy ego. Yeah. I mean, I just, it could but, be worse. I mean, <laughs> well, but I look at it too. I'm like, okay, so is that me trying to, you know, get out of the brother's shadow type behavior, you know, but this is a healthy thing. I think, you know, like trying to build something. And I like building businesses. Like I like to do something that's out of my norm. I'm not like an awesome businessman, but I like the ideas and I like to do things that I'm passionate about. And so recovery strong came about, we're doing a lot of cool things this year with it. We're going to start a nonprofit. We're going to, you know, we've been doing the workout at my sister's gym for over a year and we get 20 to 30 people there consistently every week, you know, which is, if not for them, it's really good for me to just be there for an hour, you know, from different recovery centers, uh, people it's for anybody affected by addiction, anything, if they went through a hard breakup, they're invited, you know, anybody that struggles is what we say. So but we get a few treatment centers there, we, but it's for anybody in the community. So, but um, for people that are around the area, because there are still a lot of people that, uh, in Utah that listen to this, what are the days and times of that? So we only do it Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Perfect. in Layton at Coa at Kingdom. Coa. Yeah, Coa Kingdom, you know, and that's it's just there's just a real up here. There's a need for something like that. You know, you got uh, Fit to Recover in Salt Lake where there's a lot of people that can go to that. and they, It's an all recovery uh, community. Ours is my sister's gym. She donates the time for two hours every night so we can have it for free. And uh, and it's just, yeah, it's for everybody. So, and then they can definitely, I, I mean, I, she'll probably get mad at me for saying this, but I can probably get them discounted passes, you know, class, you know, memberships <laughs> Way to, the to gym. broadcast. Yeah, <laughs> but get a recovery strong discount. So, but they have everything there. They have jujitsu. They got CrossFit style workouts. You know, they've got um, Bang Muay Thai so there's a lot of different stuff for a lot of different people there. So it's a really sweet gym. Um, yeah. as far as life is going now, you s- you're in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worked in the, my dad owns a construction company. So I worked in construction sites. I mean, all over all the surrounding States and then some, and there's, uh, this underlying, I wouldn't say it's an underlying vibe, but you can you can just tell that there are a lot of miserable people that are doing um, a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of ego bashing, and there's a lot of let's go get drunk at the hotel, and there's a lot of you know under table drug use and all that stuff. 
what is it like working in that environment now? So that you're out, you know what I mean? Luckily for me, I have a really small company, you know, five to 10 employees max. And so, mm-hmm. and we actually hire people that are in recovery. So that my main project manager has got four years sober, three or four years sober, you know, was down in Gunnison at the prison a couple of years ago. So he's, he's in recovery. We, we get people from Davis behavioral health that we'll have them come, you know, we'll hire people that are down and out felons and stuff like that. But we have a strict policy because, one, I have to protect myself. If you're going to be doing drugs on my job site, you're out. You're out, you know, because insurance isn't going to cover that kind of right. stuff. So, Absolutely. But, you know, so luckily we're not on a job site where there's a lot of stuff happening like that. We're a pretty tight-knit group, so we don't have the dealings of, you know, tens of 20s of employees that you got to worry about. So it's it's a perfect little fit for me, you know, not a lot of stress. So it's nice. So I got a question for you. So. Congrats, by the way, on the five years. That's Thank a, you. That's a pretty big milestone. Um, throughout the last five years of you, uh, you know, fighting this addiction uh, and this disease, I mean, what has probably been one of your biggest obstacles that's still, like, ongoing that you're still, like, hits you? I think discipline, you know, like daily discipline. Because I'm the kind of guy that will be really excited about something and give it my all for the first, like, let's say it's a week that you're going to do something. Let's just button it down to that. I'm really excited the first day and maybe into the second day. And then I'm kind of like, oh, I lose. I lose a little <laughs> bit of, you know, like recovery strong, right. even that, you know, super pumped at first. And then I just, things like die I'm, off. I'm into this. Yeah, like life life kind of gets in the way. And so it's kind of hard to uh, to figure out what's most important, you know, because recovery strong doesn't make any money. doesn't pay my house payment, you know, but that's not, that's not a good enough reason I need to make it work. But so I guess daily discipline, you know, sometimes I'm really disciplined to get up out early out of bed and go do a workout. But like the last few months have been hell for me as far as daily discipline, you know, cause work, but my, 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 like if you're going to get up, get up, go to work, get a workout in, you know, go do something, go, take care of yourself, try and eat healthy. A lot of those things I haven't been doing lately. And so that's one thing, like I want to be able to finish stuff that I started, you know? So uh, the only thing I've ever finished in my life, honestly, is high school and two stints in rehab. Like that's it. Like that's all I've got. So there's, so good for me, but the most important things in my life, but still, yeah, it's like, I, I, I even had this challenge two weeks ago. I wrote down in my notebook, Every day I wanted to do, I had like five things and I had a check mark for every day if it was a plus day or a minus day. And I made it to day three and then it just went out the window, you know, <laughs> like simple stuff. It was like praying. It was like, don't drink soda, work out every day, you know, like five pretty simple things that I should be doing. And I didn't do it, but I'm just like, I'm kind of just like in a funk right now, mm-hmm. you know, but, that, but that's being real. So. But we all have them. Yeah. I mean, it's not... I, the thing that I, I, I think it's so funny when you say you never finish anything. I remember the first time... Because I used to smoke, and I remember the first time I finished a lighter for the first time ever. Like, I struck it, and it didn't light. I didn't know that they stopped lighting. Or, like, a tube of toothpaste. I don't think I've ever run out of a tube of toothpaste <laughs> right. before, until like I got into... Yeah, or chapstick. Because right. I, I was always so high, I would lose it. Uh, and so I never, I never finished anything. My parents had to bribe my high school for me to graduate. Mine too. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there was no, like, real work on my part. Like I said, I, mean, I had a DUI at 16. Like, I wasn't paying attention to that. But I think it's so funny. Uh, and it, it's actually... It, that's, that's one of the things that fuels me a lot, too, is... 
I, I had such a hard time completing things or, or just finishing things um, because I would just get, I, either I would get distracted or I would just lose interest. And, uh, mm-hmm. and now I'm like so motivated to, okay, I'm putting my mind to it. I'm making it happen. This has got it. This has got to go. And uh, it's, just, it's just so much more fulfilling, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we also have those those down days. I know I have those days where I'm just like, I'm not going to do anything today. Screw you guys. Right. I, <laughs> I'm just going to sit around. Well, it's like, so you, Mike, you know, like racing, mm-hmm. you know, discipline it takes to, to be a professional athlete or, you know, an athlete at top level of what you're competing at. You know, like the only time I ever felt like I was doing that was, was the first year I did loaded. You know, I was like doing my base miles, you know, getting in my hills. And then so this is the addict in me. So I, I really did a good job the first time doing loaded because I'm like, dude, this is going to be a hard 200 mile race. So I, I was really nervous. And I and I and I prepared, and then the next year, it wasn't that hard for me. Mm-hmm. The next year, I laxed. You know, the next year, I laxed. You know, so the fourth year, dude, I had probably like twelve hundred miles before I did a two hundred mile race. And so, like, to be an athlete and to be consistent and to be disciplined, like, I look up to those endurance athletes that can like not eat a piece of candy because they're disciplined, you know, like, I'm not that guy, like, if you have candy, like, I want to eat it, you know, but I want to have the discipline to not eat it. So. But it's hard, though, because I mean, no. like, I mean, like, but the, the addict mentality kicks in, though, because, like, I literally became addicted to riding my bike, yeah. and I, I was, I mean, if I, I would kick myself in the ass if I didn't average 35,000 feet of climbing a week. It's crazy. And, like, if I wasn't riding six, seven days a week, like, I would literally was, like, punishing myself. Yeah, you are an addict. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, was, like, I, was, like, I was, like, pissed about it, I was, like, oh, man. I didn't, you know, making all the excuses and like really when I had my first child, that's when kind of like shit hit the fan. Like yeah. I, was, I backed off and I was really beating myself up and didn't have enough time to do, to do it. And at that point, you, you look at your old times and you're trying to get up something and you're like a minute slower than you were. Oh. It's like, oh, you know, fuck this. I'm, <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. You know, and it's it, stupid. It kinda, yeah, why, why don't you do this in the first place? And, I don't you know, know. It eats it. Yeah. So I have a question. Um, yeah. So now, so you got five years. I mean, are you still with your uh, girlfriend? Yeah, girlfriend. Okay. So you got a girlfriend, uh, two, two, kids, two kids, two boys. Okay. So right now with your with your girlfriend and also your parents and close friends, I mean, are you still under the microscope? Are they still no. kind of red-eyed, like wondering like, hey, no. That's, that's the beauty of being in recovery and, and sh- you know, being, doing action. You know, like I, I, I don't have that problem I had anymore. I, let's just say it's right under the surface. You know, ready to be awakened with any drug or alcohol drink I take. You know, but like right now, I'm honest. Like today, let's let's go for example. We were at, at lunch today down here at the station park. I made a comment that was not a good comment to somebody. You know, and it and it it set in my stomach for like an hour. Actually, I was coming down to go to this meeting, and I was like, I should call them and apologize. You know, because something wasn't right with me in my heart. And so I, uh, I called her up. I said, Hey, I said something that I didn't feel right about, you know, wasn't a good comment. I'm sorry. And she's like, what are you talking about? You know? And, and, and she's like, well, I'm like, this is more for me than you, you know, because I think it's that amends we talk about. And one of the, in the steps, like noticing behavior and being able to call myself out on it. Like that was a hard phone call to make, but like being able to do that consistently, I'm not perfect at it, you know, but I've amend, I've done a lot of things. I've, the money I've stolen, I've paid back by this time, you know, and, and it's just a living amends for most people, just being a trustworthy guy, showing up when I say I'm going to be here. Like today, we're going to be here at 830. 
be here at 8 30 right. you know the other day when let i me, couldn't make on, it let me check my nest cam real quick and <laughs> yeah, it was 8 27 no no i 8 27 no but like the other night you know when you asked me to come on here and we c- i couldn't make it you know it's making that phone call and being like hey you know things have changed i can't make it tonight you know just being consistent with your word and and being willing to do this kind of stuff and get uncomfortable because this isn't like i don't love doing this it's hard sure you know but that's it's probably not easy for you guys either or was it at first yeah. or is it well i the first time i thought i need to go to rehab i the first thing i said to my wife as i went into there i was like don't tell anybody i'm doing this yeah like i don't want anybody to know like i'm just gonna fix myself and then i'm gonna get out and i'm never don't ever talk about it again and like you slowly Has that start, changed? Oh, yeah. Like yeah, you start pulling obviously. the layers back. Like, I don't really care at this point mm-hmm. if somebody's, you know, I, I, I think it's the opposite. If they can, uh, you know, ask me a question or, you know, because clearly they have a reason why they're even asking. Yeah. It's not just to be nosy, but it, maybe they have an issue going on themselves. Sure. So trying to get the, you know, but that, that prideful level has kind of dropped. Yeah. You know, but I have another question. So, I mean, yeah. like with your, with your family uh, boundaries. Mm-hmm. Have you? Do you have established healthy boundaries now? Let's just say this: I can drink coffee in front of my mom and not feel bad. All right. Yeah. So that's 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 a big step. Like being being in the LDS, you know. And actually, today I live next to a general authority. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know what his official calling is, but I had two coffees this morning in my truck, and I was getting out there going to church, and I almost felt guilty like carrying the coffee. But I so I felt that again today, the shame of like, yeah, like it's just fucking coffee, like (laughs) there anyway. So, but I still, but yeah, honestly, like being okay with just who I am right. and, and, and my, pa- and being, you know, my, my older sister got pregnant when she was 16, you know, had some, had, and so we've had a few different things in the family that have, my family's become more awake in themselves. You know, they don't judge as much. They, they're compassionate to the people that are struggling. And so that's been the blessing of all this too, is it's like, they're the kind of people that you can go over and hang out with and they're not going to judge you, you know? So and it's healthy to have that, mm. to be able to have a kind of an open mind. You know, my, my parents, same way. Our yeah. whole family have always been, like, open book. Like, let's just talk about it. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've had issues with my, on the in-laws side of, you know, overly active LDS people. And uh, not that it's wrong. Yeah. You know, it's them. It fits them. And they like it. And uh, But I, I feel like even with them, it's been massive milestones. Just yeah. like of understanding clearly i don't fit the mold of you know i did go on a mission stuff i got tattoos yeah. drink coffee don't wear my garments <laughs> stuff like that you know i'm kind of on the other end of that yeah so it feels refreshing like to really to kind of like let it out like this is who i am like yeah love it or hate it and it's it's cool because yeah like you said and then it gives somebody else the courage to do that as well you know and, and that's what i think is awesome is it just be yourself you sure. know I've, i spent so many years just trying to please people and just trying to be somebody I wasn't. And so now, I mean, it's not perfect right now, you know, like I said today, I had that incident where it's like, but I love the back of that chip in the AA meetings to thine own self be true. You know, that saying, it's just like, it's beautiful. You you know, know? um, I didn't know what that meant. Um, When I first started going to AA, I remember reading the back of that and um, I thought it was, I couldn't make it make any meaning. Yeah. No, I, like literally, like I couldn't make those words make a statement. Mm-hmm. Like it sounded like um, blue sky birds, <laughs> sunny day. A haiku. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's some weird Yoda shit like, yeah. that nobody really knows what it means. Um, for about, um, 
I bet it was, I, I had to be clean for about four or five months before it made sense to yeah. me. Because the idea of being true to myself was so completely foreign. I, I, I couldn't even conceive of that sentence that it meant anything. <laughs> that's, right. that's the truth. I, and then I heard somebody say something about it, like uh, in a meeting, they, they, they stood up and said something like you just said. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, that's what that means. Oh, my God. I got it. Like, be honest with yourself. Yeah. But that's at the time, I didn't view myself as even a person like everybody else. So yeah. I, I didn't know that was possible. So that that saying <laughs> that saying like fermented in my soul when I popped dirty for a drug test in outpatient this last time through rehab and and they brought me in and and I knew I knew I wasn't I never used you know and they're like well it's saying you're you're popping for benzos and my counselor a buddy of mine actually went to school with you know he pulled, he told me that saying he's cuz i was really upset about it i was like dude fuck that i'm i'm sober i'm being honest you know i'm doing all this stuff and then they tell me i'm not like i would took resentment towards that and he just told that you know he said dude just the back of that chip to thine own self be true you know and all that once again melted away and i'm just like yeah i know i'm not it's me it it matters to me if i'm telling the truth then that's my truth. You know, I don't care what everybody, anybody else thinks. Luckily they did realize that it was a dirt, it was a bad test, you right. know? So I was vindicated in that way, but it was a cool learning experience of that saying to thine own self be true. So, and it really is, it's strong. Cause like, for example, a lot of my friends are still to this day, they're social drinkers, you mm-hmm. know, and, and we go out and hang out and do stuff. And, but the main thing was with, with me is I laid it out and like every doctor that told me, says, Hey, if your friends pressure you to doing so- something, they're not your friends, yeah. you know? And because uh, my wife is always like, oh, man, like, I don't know if I sh- you should go hang out with them. You know, they, they might be a bad influence. And yeah. I'm just like, mm, no, I'm actually my own worst enemy. Yeah. You know, I truly can. I've done the worst stuff by myself. Yeah. No Me influence. Too. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I get into more trouble by myself than I do right. in the crowd. Right. <laughs> and like, sure. I'm like, uh, yeah, this party doesn't do shit to me. Like, I could mm. go get loaded in a parking lot by myself right now. Um, but it is. I really do, do love that because if you can be honest with yourself, then you ultimately can be honest with everybody else around you with business, family, mm-hmm. members, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I, I appreciate you telling us yeah. your story. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to, to, to touch on two Sorry. things that you had to say. Um, you said um, in Recovery Strong, you know, sometimes it's it's, it's hard to put your, your full effort into it every single mm-hmm. day. And... Um, but, uh, I've, I've also found that I, I, if you can relate it to this, the way I'm relating it, um, I can't always be everybody's example and be in the front leading path all mm-hmm. the time, every day. Like, so, um, you know, I, I've kind of realized that I, I, I can't like make the path, but I can at least lay a stone mm-hmm. so somebody else can take another step and, and that's what you've done. Yeah. And so thank you for that. Yeah. And then, um, the other thing I was going to comment on, um, you saying that you you know you, you don't go to AA meetings every single day because mm-hmm. obviously AA is a big part of your life. Yeah, um, uh, that's the way that worked for me too. It just happened to be the the path I took. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've talked about several other programs on here, like uh, um, help me out. What's the Buddhist one? <laughs> Celebrate. Uh, what the hell is it called? <laughs> okay, well anyway, yeah. like NA and there's <laughs> yeah, there's a CDA refuge. Refuge. Yeah. That's, that's it. it. Refuge. I have never heard of that. Yeah. Oh, refuge. It's like it's kind of like 
the 12 steps, but like Buddhist style. Yeah. It's Mindful like, it's really cool. It's rage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my point is, um, by you saying that, um, you know, you only go every once in a while now, or, or maybe when you feel like you need to go, mm. um, would your advice to beginners in the beginning, like go every day until you get it? Cause like we, we were actually like talking, um, me and Zach on the way here, we went to a climbing trip. Uh, down in St. George, actually, we just drove from mm. St. George into this driveway, yeah. and um, <clears throat> um, we were talking about how uh, you know we hadn't been to an, a meeting in a while, mm-hmm. um, and I was saying, yeah, but that was the cool thing about going to a million meetings, like in the beginning, is so that we didn't have to go every day later, yeah, you know, and so um, we still go when we feel like we need to. As a matter of fact, we hit one while we were down there, yeah. And it was pretty cool, you know, like hear someone else's story, get like a refresher course of like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I don't drink now is because I don't want to be at the beginning again. Well, I think, so like going back to the, the newcomer, let's say, the, you know, the guy, the Jared at One Day Sober. I mean, I was in treatment, so I had to go to meetings. I had to go to therapy. I had, you know, hours and hours and hours of treatment. If you can't afford treatment, the guys that reach out to me on social on social media and ask me, what can I do to get sober? I tell them go to a meeting. Like that's the only thing I can tell them. If not, you know, go to a treatment, find somebody you can talk to. But I still think, you know, if you have to go to inpatient, cool. That's a good place for you to start. But if you can't afford it, you know, meetings or you're there's a lot of stigma behind the meeting too. You know, people I don't fit in. I don't you know, I'm like, well, you don't fucking fit in anywhere right yeah. now because you're a mess. Right. You know, like you don't need, like <laughs> exactly you don't, you don't need to tell me what head. you need to do. Right. But we've been there before. Right. You're gonna go find somebody that can help you there, you know, and if you don't like the meeting, cool. Like I didn't like a lot of the stuff I did when I got first got sober, but I did it, you know, because I was my own worst enemy. If I listened to somebody else, it made it a little easier. So my approach to recovery, so I used to be like, um, you know, because my the, the treatment center I went to was 12-step based. And so whenever somebody would tell me they got sober outside of AA, I'm like, what? What? Bullshit. You know, but Every once in a while, that still crosses <laughs> yeah, my mind. I, I, know. To, I have to reel myself back. But, but then I'm like, I hear of all these other cool opportunities, and then I see what I've been doing as far as that meeting. You know, so let's do Recovery Strong Night. I call that a meeting, you know, because I'm out doing service. We're, you know, we're talking about recovery. It's not an AA 12-step meeting. We're not giving you the steps. But no, it's but a, it's a it's recovery a, yeah, meeting. Yeah, and we're right. talking about issues. We're talking about problems. It's a way to come be safe, you know. So if you're new in recovery, go be a part of a 12-step group or find a group that can help you. You can't, I mean, you, I'm going to say this. It's You probably can't do it on your own. Like, I couldn't do it on my own. Like you need some help and, you know, and if you can have a spiritual awakening and be the guy that says, God, I need help and you're automatically cured, you know, cool. That's, that's great. But I want to have what you're having. Yeah, exactly. But it took, like, it took tons of pain and like writing down shit, you know, just peeling back the layers of all the stuff I had wrong with me after I got sober, you know, and that's where AA can help you. Treatment can help you. Mm -hmm. But now as I'm farther along, I don't need to go to a meeting every day, you know, and, I, and I'll probably get some grief for this. The people that go to meetings every day and they're stuck in an AA room. It's like I shared this tonight on the five years. So let's talk. Let's just cover this real quick. Going out to work out tonight, saw that Kobe Bryant died. You right. know, I was affected immediately because that was the dude that I watched growing up. Likewise, you, know? Yeah. you know, like I was sad, like I was almost in tears on my couch and I was going out to work out and I just felt sick, you know, and, and then I'm thinking I'm like, 
we only have one life. You know, that dude was going to do something he loves, you know, with his daughter and his, his helicopter crashes. And like, he had no idea that day it was his punch, you know, his time card was punched. And, and I think like, so looking back at all the things I've done, like we only have today. And so I want to do the best I can today. Like I'm not guaranteed, like I could pull out of this driveway right now and get hit by a truck, a drunk driver or something like that. So it's like grabbing onto life and being more in tune with where we're at, doing the things that make us feel alive. And if all you're going to do, I mean, if maybe that's cool, if you just sit in an AA room every day and just do that, but there's so much more to life. Like, <clears throat> like I bought snowmobiles this winter, you know, for a five year, uh, and a, or not or my five year birthday because I wanted to take people out in recovery to go out and go snowmobile and I don't know how to snowmobile I'm just learning how but it's been so much fun and I'm like dude I don't need drugs to feel like the way I feel you know you're out yeah. skiing every day you're doing things it's like find something that makes you feel alive because I mean I just going back to Kobe Kobe Bryant was doing what he loves to do find what you love to do and then you know if you die doing it like Cool. cool. You went man. out, you know, <laughs> went out with your boots on, man. So, yeah. And that, I mean, today's been a weird day as oh, far yeah. as like reflecting back at who he was. And, you know, like, I don't know all of his story, but he was a professional. And I respect people that are professional and the best at what they do, you know. Well, especially so. like, I mean, being like a jazz fan, you're like, mm-hmm. you know, we, to kill we, grew, us. we grew up hating. <laughs> yeah. Hating just like, you know, I don't like the Lakers. And they said yeah. when Malone went over there, too. But, you know, I, I it hit me hard, too. But, kind of jumping back into kind of the, your snowmobiling mm-hmm. thing too. Isn't it fun to just say you're going to go snowmobiling? Oh, you know what I'm it. saying? Like for me, for years, I would be like, cause I love skiing. Let's know skiing group racing. And, and for a while it was like, let's go skiing, but like, let's just pack up our coast with as many beers as they can yeah. fit, you know? So the object was getting drunk mm-hmm. while you're skiing. Yeah. And now it feels like the opposite where it's like, I really enjoy going you're pumped to skiing. Go. Yeah. Like I'm like enjoying. I you smell the outside, the w- out the wilderness, and yeah. you know it's it's really refreshing to be able to just enjoy that and not make like the drug or the alcohol the the nucleus. Yeah, you know. Well, the only reason I was able to buy a snowmobile is because I stopped using fucking drugs. So <laughs> it's like, that's like that's right. like the hard truth right. of it. Like it, it probably <laughs> financially, it probably wasn't the greatest decision but i'm like dude at least like you it know, could be worse i know yeah. i actually pulled up my calculator and i was doing like that like you've been sober this long what was your daily habit you know and gave yeah. me like a number of how much money i've saved i'm like yeah we can afford it yeah. <laughs> so You're like done <laughs> yeah it's like we could buy a dealership now <laughs> but yeah but it just but like those little things and that's what, going back to recovery strong you know and talking about what you're talking about as far as I've actually this year, 2020, because I spent half a decade in drug abuse, you know, 2000 to 2000 or 2010 to 2015, got sober in 1st of January, 2015 to 2020. So that's half a decade of just tearing my life apart, half a decade of rebuilding it, which is pretty cool to see it like that black and white. And, uh, and recovery strong this year is going to be a really cool year, cool year for us. I've got my brothers helping me, um, family members that are going to help me that I'm excited to see where it goes. And like the, you know, the shirts and stuff like that to be able to donate money. Like we sponsor guys to run, uh, we sponsored a few guys to run, um, Spartan up at, nice. and yeah. we, we've got, I just ordered kits from hyper threads. We got yeah. new recovery, strong Kevin bike kits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got a lot of cool things we're trying to do just to spread like that message of, you know, we're going to do a campaign called I am recovery strong in a couple months. And we're going to get people to just put a little, 
you know, a little five second or 10 second video of why they're recovery strong and, you know, a lot of cool messaging. I hope that, I hope that it can be a global brand actually that can do good, you know, like right that's, on. that's what I'm hoping for. So, so for people out there trying to find you, how can they find you? Recoverystrong.com is the website. That's where we sell our apparel. Um, like I said, most of the money just goes to give back right now. We're trying to figure out how to do that the right way through a nonprofit um, or on Instagram. I mean, hashtag recovery strong is probably the best way. Um, live underscore recovery underscore strong is a little bit long to say. So <laughs> <laughs> the person that owns at recovery strong, it's like some chicks. And I tried to reach out to them to buy their name off them, but they've, they haven't responded. They have one post in like 2013. Yeah, so I'm like, I kept sending them messages like, I'll buy this off of you. But anyway, they haven't responded back. But yeah, hashtag recovery strong. And like, it's been cool because we've had, you know, I've got, a, f- a few influencers out there like Cameron Haynes. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's a big Jocko Willink. All these guys that if you guys want to find some people that are just dedicated to their sport, but um, he has about a million followers and he, his brother's a recovering addict and he's really fallen in love with our brand. His name is Taylor Spike. He's an ultra marathoner. Nice. And so That's we're going to awesome. interview him and he's, you know, it's just, it's cool because I've got uh, not just here in Utah, some fingers out there globally, you know, or I I guess nationally. But the coolest thing is like, I'm going to go back to my shop tonight. I'm going to send some shirts out to, I've sent stuff to Australia, which was really cool. Mm. You know, recovery strong stuff. I've sent Hawaii, um, all over the East coast, you know, so it's pretty cool like to go and I go and package it up and write them a letter and a little note. So it's, it's fulfilling for me. Yeah. So it is a worthwhile venture. Yeah. It's fun. You know, if this is all it ever is cool. But I think that there's more to it than that. So, but I'm just kind of trusting that I don't want to screw it up. So, like, I'm kind of being real laid back with it too. Like, I guess there's a difference between being lazy and just kind of not putting me in the way of it and having people guide me through it. So, but yeah, I'm excited for this year. Right on, man. Well, good shit. Well, we are actually out of time, but we. I, I, okay, I just want to thank you for coming on. Yeah, man. yeah thanks for really having me. Cool. Yeah, it was good. I'm happy really it was able to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I get invited to do this stuff. <laughs> five years ago, you guys wouldn't want me in your house. It was <laughs> 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 well, like with in April last year. That's how I sat Zach down. We went to sushi. I'm just like, dude, we've we let's do this. Yeah, you know, and it's started off small. It's getting a little bit bigger. We had kind of couple ups and downs of trying to figure this out and yeah. you know we're just making it work that's cool yeah. well it needs to be it's breaking the stigma it's cool anybody that does this stuff i respect you know because it it's just it it normalizes us sure. instead of makes us outsiders and this person we're not you know it, it normalizes us so i always say to myself it could be worse yeah you know, for, <laughs> sure. <laughs> for sure i could be in a psych ward again you know yeah. <laughs> it's like you talked about it's not the most comfortable thing to do mm-hmm. but it kind of breaks you out of your shell oh i loved every minute of it yeah. but this is what you do if you want to stay sober yeah like you get yeah, uncomfortable man. it's the action so. you take mm-hmm. that's what i always say finding yeah. comfort in the uncomfortable Yep. All right, well, we are out of here. Uh, we will catch you, whoever is listening, we'll catch you all next time. And uh, see you later. The boys yeah. are back in town. Stay sober. <laughs> later. <laughs>